four, chapter 14 of, of the book of Revelation, uh, again, just just to just so we all know we all know where we're at. Again, we're looking at the at the events that are going to take place in the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. And so we see that uh, the last two weeks, chapters 12 and 13, man, it was like it was all doom and gloom, right? You go into chapter 12 and chapter 13, you start hearing about judgment, the beast, the dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet, and it's like it was kind of all the all the evil, you know, that, that, that was going to be here on the earth during the tribulation period. So it was like all this doom and gloom uh, as we get to this, the description of Satan, you know, as the dragon and the beast, which is describing the antichrist and the false prophet. Right, who's promoting the, the, the false religious system. But chapters 14 and 15 kind of shed some light for us as we see God, uh, as we see Christ, as we see His angels, and as we see uh, the, the 144,000 uh, believers now again. And so chapter 14 stands like in this huge, sharp contrast to chapter 13. And really that's how it's meant to be. We guys remember that, that, that the Bible was not, was not broken up in chapters originally, you know, but... Somebody you know <laughs> did that for us, and, and and we're blessed because now we could you know navigate through the Bible. But originally it was just one long scroll, and 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 you could easily lose the theme of it as you as you break into these chapter divisions. But it's set up in a way that the Lord has given us like all the dark, and then He just boom just pours out a bunch of light on us. Right, chapters 12, 13, the beast, the Antichrist, all these uh, horrible things that are going on. But then you get to chapter 14, and boom, it's like glory at the end right and so we're looking at chapter 14 this morning and uh, so starting verse 1 it says then I looked again John speaking he says then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with them were 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads and I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. And verse 4 says, These are the ones who were not defiled with women, uh, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for, the, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And we'll stop right there. And so chapter 14, now again, in sharp, sharp contrast to how we ended chapter 13 with, with, uh, the, with the, the mark of the beast and, and, and the number of the beast being 666. And then he says, then I looked. So after that, he says, then I looked and behold. You know, and that word behold is like, all right, you know, you get all this darkness, dark, 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 bad, bad news, bad news, bad news. And he says, but behold. And then when he says, behold, he says, I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion. You know, of course, speaking of the Lord Jesus. And so John says that, that he sees a lamb standing on Mount Zion along with the 144,000. Now, if you're wondering, yeah, these are the same 144,000 that we were introduced to in chapter 7 uh, at the beginning of the tribulation period. Chapter 7, when, when it mentions these 144,000, uh, this was the, just kicking off the tribulation period. And so uh, I'll go ahead and read it for you there in Revelation 7. Four, as we were introduced to them, it says this, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from, from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and, to, and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And so... Uh, these 144,000 were, were identified for us 
in chapter 7 as, as a group of Jewish believers who were to minister during the Great Tribulation, during those seven years of the Great Tribulation. And we're told that they were given the seal of protection throughout that period. And we know that they're Jews because then uh, there in chapter 7, John goes on to say it was 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, and he lists most of the tribes and 12,000 from each tribe. And so these, these 144,000 here in chapter 14 are the same ones that we saw in chapter 7. And, and, and I, say to, I say that to say this, that, that it's just amazing that again, we saw them at the beginning of the tribulation, right? And here we are, we're seeing them again now at the end of the tribulation. And here we see them uh, toward, again toward the end of the tribulation period and notice where they're at. They're standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb, with the Lord. Now, here, here's what I'm trying to say. The, the idea is that, that you know, the beast that we were introduced to in Revelation 13, the dragon, you know, the, the, the false prophet, uh, these three characters, uh, we, we saw that the beast of Revelation 13 has not defeated the 144,000 uh, that were here on earth for that seven year tribulation period. Here they are triumphant, here they are worshiping, and here they are standing firm with Jesus. And, and I love that because even though throughout those seven years of just pure darkness, of pure just a, a demon, demonic, satanic attack on, on Christianity, uh, on, on the believers, on, on the followers of, of Christ, during that, that, that heavy attack, you know, although they were the targets of the Antichrist and of persecution, it's like here after every single attack, after every single opposition, after every single temptation, we see not 143,999, we still see 144,000, right? So it's, I mean, not one was lost. It's like, this speaks of, of God's mighty ability to preserve those who are His, right? It's like they went throughout those seven years with, you know, the church being raptured now, raptured now so, so now there's no, there's no uh, uh, godly influence in the world. Right? They went throughout those seven years with just the demonic agenda uh, reigning and ruling uh, throughout, throughout all the government, people losing their lives for the Lord. But yet, here they are at the end of the tribulation period, triumphant, untouched, maybe unharmed, right? worshiping God. And, and I love that because, again, it just speaks of God's mighty ability to preserve and specifically to preserve those who are His, right? No matter what comes our way. And, and that speaks to us as well, you know, because we can trust we can trust God to keep His promise to us. You know, when He says that He's in the, in the beginning of the tribulation period, when He says, I'm going to seal them so that no one can touch them, it's like they had to go throughout that those seven years trusting the Lord, right? And, and really seeing God's protection on their hand. And, and so that speaks to us that we can trust God as well as He ministers to us, as He speaks to us of His promises. Promises like, like the one given to us in Deuteronomy 31.8 that says, And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will not leave. It says, He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's like, right, Lord, I, I could trust you for that promise. I could trust you for keeping that promise. Promises like in Isaiah 43, 2, where he says, When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames support you. It's like, right, Lord, I could trust you. Right? If, if God has been faithful right he has a proven track record of, of faithfulness he's been faithful for all eternity and he's not going to stop being faithful today and he's not going to stop being faithful anytime soon right if he's remained faithful throughout all eternity he's going to continue to remain faithful throughout the rest of eternity 
right? And, and so we could we could trust the Lord, but just seeing examples like this, just uh, just they, they build us up in our faith, seeing that look, man, that God kept His promise to keep them untouched, to keep them unharmed. That at the end of those seventy years, during the most harshest conditions, uh, as far as temptation and trials and tribulation here on earth, here they are. Not 143,999, but 144,000. They're all there, right? And so we're told that there are 144,000 who have the Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, interesting because in Revelation 7.3, we were told that, that these were given a seal of God on their foreheads. But we weren't told what that seal was until here in chapter 14. And so here in chapter 14, we now know that, that that seal that was given to them in the beginning of the tribulation period was the name of God on their foreheads. Now, I don't think it was like a carved out or a tattoo or, you know, or like I had to say that belonged to God or anything, you know, but, but it was, my personal belief is that, is, is that it was the Holy Spirit. It was a special anointing of the Holy Spirit on their lives, right? This reminds me right now, just as, as we're as we're talking about it, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, when we go through the garments of the of the of the priests, and and, and uh, God gives specific instructions to Moses, I believe, I believe it's in the book of Leviticus, you know, and, and the priests were to wear certain garments, and they had to dress a certain way, and uh, and one of the things that they wore was this headband, and on the headband it said holiness unto the Lord, right? Just distinguishing them from from all the other peoples, knowing that look, they're set apart for the work of God in their lives. Right? And so same, same with these 144,000 that God put his seal on their foreheads, literally, right? Whether it's something tangible, something visible, or just, you know, his special anointing over their lives. That's what I believe it was. You know, but, but, but God put his special seal on them to empower them for the work that he had for them during those seven years. During the toughest, hardest, uh, most like, craziest seven years that the world has ever seen. Right, but but they survived it and, and they were triumphant and they they and they, they came out of it victorious. Why? Because they had the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, now not to heavy. Because for us as well, I mean, all right, maybe we're not gonna have an actual seal or like a cap that says holding us unto the Lord on, on, on our heads, right? But it's like as we're walking through this world too, it's God's seal, it's God's Holy Spirit that's gonna preserve us from this world. It's God's Holy Spirit that's gonna keep us from getting you know, entangled with the things of the world. It's God's Holy Spirit in our lives ruling and reigning as we, as we give ourselves over more to Him daily, daily, right? As we continue to walk with Him. It's God's Holy Spirit over our lives that's gonna keep us shut apart, that's gonna keep us right, persevering, that's gonna keep us victorious in Him and continuing to, to trust in His promises. And so again, now we know that that, that it was that, that seal was the name of God on their on their foreheads, right? And so we see that that God seals the witnesses or those hundred forty four thousand with His name on their foreheads. Uh, now, interesting because in the chapter previous, chapter thirteen, if you remember, uh, we're told that, that that the Antichrist that this is what he did. Then in Revelation thirteen sixteen, it says he causes all, both small and great, uh, both rich and poor, both free and slave. To receive a mark on their right hand or where or on their foreheads and, and, and i just think that's crazy because because uh, satan's always trying to duplicate the work of god right we said it a couple weeks before he's the great counterfeiter as we're going through the book of exodus on wednesday nights we see uh god commissioned moses said all right go go to pharaoh show your rod do this do that a serpent's gonna appear the water's gonna turn to blood uh Toads are going to appear everywhere. And what does Pharaoh do? He gets his magicians, his sorcerers, and these guys do the same thing. Right? And so we see that, that, that Satan is, is, is that great counterfeiter. And we see that, that, that Satan is, is, is always trying to offer some kind of alternative salvation. 
or some uh, or a counterfeit salvation, right? Just as as God sealed His hundred forty-four thousand, uh, the Antichrist puts His seal on those who are His, right? That mark of the beast. And, and again, just Satan always trying to to offer some kind of counterfeit salvation. He's going to try to steal uh, the glory, you know, away from the Lord and the attention away away from the Lord, right? And, and really, that's what we see today is just that is great counterfeit salvation. I mean, we talked about it a little last week uh, on Wednesday concerning the law and concerning idolatry and how, you know, there's just so many different beliefs out there. There's so many counterfeit salvations where they think, where they, they teach, oh, you could, yeah, yeah, you could have Jesus, but you can also have all this, right? Jesus is not the only way. If you're a good person, that's good enough. If you do good deeds, that's good enough. If you help out the homeless, that's good enough. If this, this, that, and the other, and you could add all everything else to your faith, right? It's not just Jesus. And there's like this counterfeit salvation going around that that that, that excludes uh, uh, repentance, that excludes you know uh, uh, any type of denial of self. But yet Jesus said, hey, man. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him pick up his cross, what, and follow me, right? But but again, just Satan, the, this the, the greatest counterfeit, the greatest counterfeiter, offering all kinds of other alternatives. It's like he'll say, you could do anything else, but follow just true biblical Christianity. And we see what, what we see how the world is, is so lost, right? Because there's so many counterfeits out there offered. And it's easy to get caught up in many of them. And so we see that that as John is there, uh, you know, he sees 144,000, he sees them victorious, triumphant. And then we see the result of serving God through that tribulation. Is that those hundred forty four thousand after the tribulation now is that they're as they're there triumphant, what are they doing? It says that they're that they're worshiping, that they're singing unto the Lord. And so John says, And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters. Now we know that this voice that John hears is, is the voice of the Lord. Because there in Revelation 1.15, in the very first chapter of Revelation, John hears the same thing. And he says this in Revelation 1.15. As he's describing the Lord, he says, His feet were like fine brass, as if it had been refined in a furnace, and His voice as the sound of many waters. And so here's the Lord. Here's uh, the Lord again speaking, and John hears him, and he, he says, "It sounds the same. It sounds like the voice of many waters." I don't know if you guys have ever been close to like a, a, a big waterfall, like Niagara Falls or something. I've never been to Niagara Falls, but I remember when we were in Columbia, there was this river with, uh, that the water was just man. It's like you put your hand in, it and it even hurts because it just like, smacks your hand real hard, right? And it's like, and you could just—it's so loud that we could be like this, and you'll be screaming at the top of the lungs, y'all, and you can't hear each other because the water's so loud. Right, and, and I could just imagine what John heard. That's like, man, he heard the when the Lord spoke. He said it was like the sound of rushing waters, right? The, the sound of many waters coming through. So it was something powerful, something mighty. It's like you knew you were in the presence of, of something powerful. And so John hears the voice of the Lord, and then he hears something else. He says that he hears singing. So John hears the voice of the Lord. He hears angels singing, and it says that he hears them singing a new song before the throne. The song that no one could learn or join in except 144,000 who were preserved and, re and redeemed from the tribulation. And I was reading this, I'm like, man, what does this mean? I'm like, that's kind of messed up. How come no one else can join in, right? I pictured it. Like, is there like a little worship session going to heaven and everyone else is just kind of on the sidelines watching? And, you know, and I started just praying. I'm like, no, what does this mean? What, what, what is, you know, how come no one else could join in? I looked up a couple of commentaries that didn't really get anything good out of it. And, like, and, and um, as I'm reading it, you know, I'm realizing like, man, this was something special that the Lord had for these 144,000 because of what they had endured. 
right? We're told that no one could learn this new song in heaven. John is hearing it. He's like, it was this new song. No one else knew it. it besides 144,000, they, they were the only ones singing along. You think about that, that's heavy. Because out of all the trillions and trillions of multitudes of believers in heaven, John says, man, only those 144,000 knew the song. And only, only they were singing, right? Now, no one could learn this new song or join it except for them. You know, who are preserved from the redeemed from the tribulation because they alone went through the testing and the trials and the tribulation they alone went through this uh, ultimate you know <laughs> ultimate uh, 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 harshness right but yet they maintain their integrity and, and so it's like it's like it's like the Lord was rewarding them it's like how many guys went through all that because I'm gonna give you something special I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a new song Right? Everyone in heaven's worshiping the Lord says, but I'm gonna give you something special, something that, that, that only we know, right? It's only between between you and me. And, and, and I love that because it speaks of the intimacy, intimacy that, that, that the Lord had with these believers. Right? And, and more than that, man, I mean, it speaks of the int intimacy that the Lord is designed to have with us as well. Why? Because then, with these guys, they alone could sing of what they were, they were able to observe the Father do on their behalf during that tribulation period. And really, every one of us goes through times and trials and tribulations. And it's like the Lord allows us to go through our own little things. Why? So that we can tell others of things that only we know. And there's even some things that we can't even put into words. I mean, there's times where the Lord has met me in my own personal trials, in my own personal hardships. That it's like, I can't even try to explain to, not even to my wife. Right? Because it's just so special. It's so intimate. It's so private. It's just something that, that me and God have, right? The Lord made me in, in such a special way that it's like, I know it was only for me and Him. And, 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 and that's what these 144,000 have. is like, this new song was only between them and the Lord. And that's what the Lord was, is rewarding them, them with. You know, it's this, this intimacy in that song. I love that. I love that. But also, you know, <laughs> what I see is that as they're worshiping God, it's like, man, they went through those seven years, probably the toughest, hardest years of their life. But yet at the end of it, they were worshiping. And I believe, like, man, what an, what an example to us, right? We have an awesome example of that as well. There with uh, Pilate, with, sorry, with Paul and Silas in Acts 16. Acts 16, 23 says about Paul and Silas when they were, they were busted, they thrown into jail. And it says, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in, into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge, it says that he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's cool, man. Because even as Paul and Silas were, were there busted, they had gotten beat up. They were thrown into jail. And what were they doing? They were singing a song, man. They were, they were praising God. They were singing hymns unto the Lord. You know, and, and, and that's cool, man, because it speaks to us again in our trials. These 144,000 at the end of the trial, what are they doing? They're worshiping God. We see Paul and, Paul and Silas at, in the midst of their trial. What are they doing? They're in jail and they're worshiping God. And so that kind of encourages me, you know, that as we go through our little things, like, man, we could go through it worshiping God, you know. And so it goes on to say about now about, says, uh, talks about the purity of these 144,000. And it describes them kind of in a, you know, if you read it just for face value, kind of, it seems kind of weird. It says, that, that these 144,000 says that these are the ones uh, who followed the Lamb wherever He went. It also says there in verse 4 that these are the ones who were not defiled with women. It says, for they are virgins, you know, and, and they followed the Lamb wherever He went. 
So you could read that and think, man, what's, what's that all about? Right? But really, it's speaking about the purity of these 144,000. When it says that they were not defiled with women, what it means is that, is that, is that they, stood, they stood apart from the sin of their culture. It's like, again, keep in mind, there's no church, there's no you know, uh, dominant you know, Christian influence, there's no worship uh, leaders on TV or on the radio or nothing like that. There's no church services being streamed online. The church is gone. The church is gone and they're living in a world that's, that's primarily ruled by a demonic agenda, by a satanic agenda. But yet these 144,000 were able to just maintain themselves pure, right? In the midst of a culture that was just giving over to their carnal desires, to, their, to the lust of their flesh. You know, I mean, you could just imagine, we see kind of the, the deterioration of society today, right? Where, there's, where all kinds of different agendas are being pushed on, on kids, on, on, on us, on, on everyone. And, and it's like, dude, that's, that's going on with the church still being here. Imagine if, if the church is gone, right? There's no restraining force to keep any of, the, keep any of this stuff from going on. And, and yet, these 144,000, it's like they went against the grain, they went against the culture. And they remain pure, right? When they probably had like a, all kinds of amounts of, of, of things to choose from that they could indulge in. It's like they, they remain pure. They, they kept themselves set apart to serve God, right? In a time where, where, Satan, uh, where satanic influence just set the standard for morality, these chose to rebel against the norm of their culture. And, it's, and, we're, and we're told that they remain pure during their time and they just focus on preaching for seven years. They just focused on preaching the gospel. Right? They didn't get caught up with anything else. That's heavy. That's pretty cool actually. And it says that they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I love that description of them. Not only that, not only did they remain faithful, not only were they triumphant, not only did they persevere, endure, not only did they uh, keep themselves set apart, but it says that they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. My prayer is that as I was reading this, I'm like, man, Lord, I pray and I hope that when I die and I'm up there and the book or the notebook of my life is being opened, is being read, I pray and hope that that, 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 that could be said of me. Angel, amen, he followed the Lamb wherever he went. <laughs> he followed Jesus wherever he went. Right? And, and, and we're told this about these 144,000 that they just followed the Lord wherever he went. Right? And so they're described as being uh, true followers. And really, Jesus put it really clear. Jesus put it very clear for us. And he says this in John 10, 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And what? He says, and they follow me. And really, if we call ourselves believers, uh, the Lord has given us His Holy Spirit. Right? We don't have to follow a man or a religion or an organization or a movement. It's like, man, we follow the Lord. Why? Because we hear His voice. It's like, all right, Lord, you want me to do this? I'll do that. You want me to go here? I'll, I'll go there. Lord, you want me to... Hi Lord, I'm just following you wherever you go, Lord. Or you want to take me into this season of my life? All right, Lord, I'm right behind you. Right? And, and, and I love this. I mean, we're seeing a little bit uh, about this in, in the book of Exodus. As we're studying the, the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, and we're told that the children of Israel, about two million plus people, were, were there in the wilderness, and, and we're told that they didn't move unless the Lord moved. Right? The Lord appeared to them uh, by day as a pillar of cloud, and by night as a pillar of, of fire. And it's like they were there doing their own thing, but they waited. If the pillar camped out for two days, they camped out for two days. If it moved constantly for 48 hours, they moved constantly with it. You know, and really that's where we want to be as believers. I'm not saying that maybe it's not a physical move, but it's like, 
if, if something happens internally or, or in our personal lives where the Lord says, hey, uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you go talk to that person? You're at the grocery store in line and, and the Lord puts in your head, why don't you pray for that person right now in your head? All right, Lord, I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you call me to do, right? And so that said of these 144,000, that, that they were just followers, man. They were followers. And, and I love that because that was Jesus' original call to the disciples, wasn't it? Did he say, follow me? Right? When he found Peter, when he found Andrew, when he found uh, James and John, he says, follow me, follow me. And, and we get so caught up and we, we can lose really the, uh, uh, the Lord's original intent for our lives and our walks. And we can make it about all these other things, about being a good pre a preacher, being a good teacher, being a good this, this, that, and the other. And, and, and we lose sense of the original call was to just follow him. Right? That was Jesus' original calls to the disciples. He said, follow me. And so that's what these guys are doing. They're just following the Lord. Now, as I was reading this, you know, I, I asked myself, how far am I willing to follow the Lord? You know, how far am I willing to follow the Lamb? It says that these follow the Lamb wherever He went. But how far are we willing to follow the Lamb? You know, what's it going to take to separate you from the Lord? What's it going to take to keep you from following the Lord any longer? I love how Paul put it there in Romans 8, 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution or famine or nakedness? He says, shall peril or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. For we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He says, but yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. He says, nor height, nor death. He says, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and that's heavy. Because why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of the Lord. We separate ourselves. Right? If we find ourselves distant from the Lord, it's not because God separated himself from us. It's not because God started to distance himself from us. He said, you know what? Ah, I'm kind of sketchy. Man. I don't want anything to do with you. No. It's because we separate ourselves from the Lord. Right? But the, the word says that, that, that nothing can separate us from the Lord. We do, though, often you know, in our lives. But there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so it goes on to say there in verse, verse 6 now. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. He says, To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of, of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And verse 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, Babylon has fallen, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He says, He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so, as John sees the worship in heaven, as John sees the 144,000, as John you know, is describing these 144,000 as being true followers, you know, and just pure in heart and everything else, it says then that he sees three angels. Now, 
really what John is seeing and what he describes for us is the final call. It's like, it's, it's all right, it's like the last chance, right? This is the final call. And we see that those who reject the call of these angels are gonna be eternally lost. And, and so we've seen that throughout the time of the tribulation, as we've been studying these chapters, we see that God has been extending opportunity after opportunity, uh, mercy after mercy, patience after patience, long suffering after long suffering, for people to come to him and, and be saved. Right, but now what, what, what John is describing is now it's right, it's the final call. Many have come throughout the tribulation, you know, many have come already, but many have also rejected and, and chosen to side with the beast, you know, with the Antichrist and rebel against God. And now John sees uh, the first of these of these three angels, and he is he says that, that, that this first angel that he sees that he is declared as having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Now, if you didn't know, the word gospel means good news. You know, and, and so when we say we're going to go share the gospel, we're sharing the good news. And, and that good news of, of salvation that, that, that God is offering through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so John sees this angel preaching the gospel. You know, for the very last time, God said, all right, this is the, the, the last time, right? This is the last call. Anyone, anyone else want to join? Anyone else want to repent? Anyone else want to, you know, want to give up? It's all right. This is the last call. Interesting that this is actually the only mention in the Bible and anywhere else, the only mention of an angel preaching the gospel. Just a little sign right there. I think that's interesting. You know, that the only mention of, of an angel, of an angelic being preaching the gospel, is here at the very last call, right at the end of the tribulation period. Interesting what Jesus said there in Matthew 24, 14. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come and this is what we're seeing that the gospel is being preached one last time to all the world to all the nations why so that then the kingdom of god can come now i love this because i mean man we see that that god has the ability to use an angel to preach the gospel right uh god has man more angels that i could even that there's even a number to describe trillions upon trillions times trillions of angels in heaven that he could call me he could at, at any moment hey uh, you three million why don't you go to the earth and just go, go share the gospel right and we know that each and every one of them will be more effective than any of us for sure me you know but every single one of us uh any one of these angels is a better teacher is a better evangelist is a better you know a uh, discipler is a better all these things but yet the lord chooses to use us the body of Christ, the church. You know, the Lord uses, chooses to, to work through us, man, through, through individuals. Why? So that He could work through us and He could work in us. And, and, and that's humbling. That's humbling to know that, that God doesn't need to use us, but He wants to use us. You know, he wants to use us. He, he doesn't have to use us. He doesn't need to use us, but He wants to use us. So He wants to use you. And so He's given us spiritual gifts. He's equipped us with spiritual gifts so that we can walk in our callings, right? And what it is that He's called us to do or what it is that, that, that He's placed uh, on, on our lives, right? That burden that, that He's placed in your heart. But I, I, I love that He doesn't need to use us, right? But He wants to, man. He wants, to, he wants to, to use us if we're willing. And so then John sees a second angel and he sees this second angel now is announcing the fall of Babylon. He says, Babylon is, fall is fallen. Babylon is fallen. Now, this Babylon uh, uh, falling is, is the end 
of the Antichrist's religious or political system. When the Bible in the book of Revelation talks about Babylon uh, or descri is describing Babylon, it's describing the one world you know, religious system that's going to come to place in the last days, right? With the, with the dragon as God, with the dragon Satan as God, with the Antichrist as the false messiah, and with the false prophet as, as the promoter. Right, and so with those three guys, they're gonna set up this unholy trinity. They're gonna set up this uh, false religion on the world where everyone's gonna follow. It's gonna be like this free for all, right? With Satan in charge, and the Bible calls that the the the, the great harlot Babylon. Now, I'm not gonna go super deep into it because uh, chapter 17 and 18 is gonna give us more insight on that. Chapter 17 and 18 is dedicated all to 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 the great harlot Babylon, this this false religious system. So we'll cover it when we get there. But, but this angel saying, hey, Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. Right? Meaning, all right, man, that's it. This thing is done. It's coming to an end. Time for judgment. And then we see now the third angel's message. We see that the third angel warns against taking the mark of the beast. Right? First angel said, all right, repent. Last call. You know, uh, come to Jesus. Second one says, all right, man, I hope is lost. Everything's crumbling around you. Come to Jesus. Right, and now this third one now he's he's warning now against taking this this mark of the beast, right? And so we've seen God now send three angels to personally warn the world. Right, it's like man, God's already sent all the believers, the church is raptured. God has sent the hundred forty-four thousand. God has sent the two witnesses. Uh, God has sent now these three angels to to personally warn everyone. One of them is preaching the gospel. The other two are are warning people, saying, "All right, man, that's it. It's coming to an end." God has sent three angels to personally warn the world. Now, those who reject the message do it out of their own free will. Right? It's like God is doing everything that He can to cause people to know that it's time. You know, to cause people to, to come to repentance. God is doing everything that, everything that He can to, to, to extend mercy upon the world. And so those who, who, who do reject the, mes the message at this point, they're doing it out of their own free will. Right? And we see that God's going to allow it. He's not going to force them, but He's going to allow it. And really, we see that those who chose to follow the Antichrist and, and Satan, uh, they're going to have their choice honored by God forever. God's not going to say, all right, man, come on, I wish you would just, no. He said, all right, you made your choice, right? You made your choice, that's it. And, and that speaks to us, man, to, to choose wisely when it comes to, to, to our salvation. Because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, right? So many people, I mean, man, I have family members that are saying, I know about God. I know you guys are Christians. I know you're a pastor. I know this and that. But I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And there's this this, this false uh, sense of security that, that, that the world carries. Sometimes they think, I'll go when I'm ready. I'll come to the Lord when I'm ready. And the thing is that no one's ever going to be ready. Right? I have a family member that's saying, oh, I'll just wait till the, the very end. I mean, God's merciful. And they'll say that. God's merciful, right? God is a God of love, right? He'll, he'll, he'll let me wait till the last minute. He'll give me one last opportunity to come to Him. And really, we don't know when we're going to take that last breath. I mean, I can't say just because I'm young and, or, and, and all that, that I have the rest of my life ahead of me. We don't know. Right? How many people woke up yesterday planning their whole week for today, planning their summer, planning their, their, their Thanksgiving, their Christmas, their Labor Day weekend in September, and didn't make it that, those 24 hours? Right? We, we don't know. And so we see again now that, that God is just extending again that, that last call, that, that, that last opportunity for salvation. And so it goes on to say there in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. 
Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And verse 14 says, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one, sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. And he says, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And so we see John's vision now of the Son of Man, you know, who, who's, who is Jesus. This title, Son of Man, was given to Jesus way back in the book of Daniel. And then uh, uh, Jesus used that title to, to, to describe himself in, in, the, in the Gospels. And now John sees, he says, he sees his vision of the Son of Man on a cloud. So he sees Jesus now. And John tells us that, that, that Jesus had on his, hand, on his head a golden crown and on his hand he had a, he had a sharp sickle. And then we're told that John sees an angel coming out and saying to the Lord, The time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So in other words, he's saying, All right, judgment time. It's judgment time. Now, this is really, if you think about it, if you reread it, this is like one of the most sobering statements of the whole Bible. When he says, this angel is telling, this angel is telling the Lord, it's judgment time. I mean, that's it. No more uh, time for repentance. No more time for uh, uh, you know having another another opportunity. It's like that's it. The, the 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 window of grace has closed, and now you know it's it's judgment time, and it's it's the day that that that, that all I mean non-believers kind of dread, right? For us as believers, we know that that that, that we weren't created for wrath, and the Bible tells us that we're not going to go through through this this judgment of our sins. Why? Because Jesus paid the Paid the price for our sins on the cross. We're going to go through a different type of judgment, which is more like an award ceremony, right, for, for, for our faithfulness unto the Lord. But, but for us, we have nothing to fear. The Bible tells us that there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. But for everyone else who's, on, who's, in, who's going to be in the world at this time, it's like for them, that's it, man. The window's closed. Uh, that's call, right? Now, I say it's over because I, I think about my life and all the times that I messed up and all the times that I... I've come to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I know, I know you're, you're, you're forgiving. Lord, please forgive me. And time after time after time after time that I've come to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And I think, man, what if one day I come to the Lord and I say, all right, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. He says, no, that window's forgiveness is closed. And that's what's happening here in the book of Revelation here in, in, in chapter 14 is that that window of forgiveness, that window of mercy, that window of, 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 of patience, it's closed now, right? And the angel tells the Lord, all right, it's time for you to reap the harvest of the earth, meaning it's judgment time. So it goes on to say in verse 17, Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the, from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your, in your sharp sickle, thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside of the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, which is around 200 miles. And so we see now uh, John sees two more angels and they're the angels of judgment. 
And we're told that, that this angel that John sees, uh, he also has a sharp sickle in his hand, right? John sees first the Lord with the sharp sickle in his hand, and an angel saying, all right, Lord, uh, the, har the earth is ready, the, the harvest is, is ready, come in and reap the harvest of the earth. But then John sees two other angels, one of them with the sickle in his hand. And we see, we see that one of the angels cries out to the other one and says, throw your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine, for the grapes are fully ripe. I mean, that cluster means like that little group of, of, of fruits. And but he says, throw your, 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 your sickle into the earth and says, for the grapes are fully ripe. And really, this is a statement of judgment. It, it, it literally means when it says, when he's saying, all right, throw your, 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 your sickle into the earth and gather the vine in the earth. This is for they're fully ripe. And that Greek, that word fully ripe means they're overly ripe. Meaning the angels telling the other angel, hey man, let's, 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 uh, let's reap the harvest because these, the fruit is going bad. It's overly ripe already. Meaning that the judgment upon the earth, he says, it's been long overdue. It's been long overdue. Right? So it's as he's saying, the earth is long overdue for judgment. And then we see that as he does so, we're told that the, that the wine press was trampled outside of the city and blood came out of the wine press up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 for a long time. Again, around 200 miles. Really, it's speaking about uh, this battle that's going to that's gonna break out as God's judgment comes upon the earth. This one last battle is going to break out. And that's what we know as the Battle of Armageddon. We're not going to get too, into it too much today because... Uh, we're going to talk about it in chapter 19. Chapter 19 describes for us the battle of Armageddon where it's going to be like Satan's last thrust of, of, you know, of, of hope and last thrust of just a really hopelessness, I guess. You know, his last thrust and his last kind of shot at, at overthrowing God. And we're told in chapter 19 that Satan's going to gather uh, all the demonic forces that exist. He's going to gather all the kings of the earth, you know, who have rebelled against God, every single individual who has left in the tribulation period, who hasn't died, and who has rebelled against God knowingly or, or, or consciously he says they're going to wage war against the Lord that's what we know as the battle of Armageddon and we're, we're told I'm just going to read it for you I'm going to get into it a little bit it's too exciting and so uh, chapter 19 verse 17 and so, and so we're told there in chapter 19 verse 17 as, as we get into the battle of Armageddon what goes on as, as this judgment comes it says then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty man, the flesh of horses and of all those who sit on them and the flesh of all the people free and slave, both small and great. And so as, as this battle is going on, this battle of Armageddon and Satan along with all the demonic forces that exist, along with all the, all the, the, the rules of, of this world who have rebelled against God, against every individual who has rebelled against God, as they're gathering up and coming up to, to fight against the Lord and, and against his, his, his armies, which is going to be us as well. We're told that, that John, John hears an angel calling out to all the birds of the air. And he's pretty much saying, all right, guys, buffet time. Come over here if you want to eat. You know, if you want to eat the flesh of kings, if you want to eat the flesh of captains, if you want to eat the flesh of horses and those who ride on them. And so this is, man, this is a heavy, you know, because this angel saying, all right, everyone, all the birds come over here because you guys are going to feast. You're going to have a buffet. And it goes on to say in 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, meaning uh, the Lord and his army. And the beast was captured, and with them the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these, were the, and these were cast alive into the lake of fire, 
burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, meaning Jesus. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So all the birds, they went to the buffet, and they ate till, till they were full. Man, so there was no battle at all. <laughs> we're told that the Lord just, again, man, with the sword of his mouth, with the word, with the spoken word. All these guys gather up again. Satan gathers up with one last, you know, hopeless uh, attempt at, at overthrowing God. Gathers up all those, convinces everyone that they can overthrow God in his kingdom. And there isn't even a battle. The Lord shows up. We all show up with the Lord. And, and, and the Lord just just speaks it. You know, and these guys are, boom, immediately the beast is captured. And the other guys, they're thrown to the lake of fire, which burns forever. That's heavy. That's amazing, actually. Right? Because it speaks about the power of God, the victory of God. And it's like we've been studying all these chapters. And there's, there's one more chapter of judgment that we're going to read about, chapter uh, 16 and 15. But yeah, like all this is leading up to what? To, to, the, to the kingdom of God being established. And it's like God have to, has to show us, you know, everything has to come first upon the earth before his kingdom can be established. And, 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 and that gives us hope. And because we see things going down the drain. We see things going bad. You know, but... Things are going bad because they need to get better, right? And, and things are going bad because cause, cause God needs to judge the earth and God needs to set up his kingdom. But he's giving you know, one more opportunity for people to, to be saved, to come to him. You know, and, and again, this is, for me, this is encouraging because we're reading about all these judgments and the next judgments are, are coming to the next chapters. Then we're going to read about uh, chapter 17 and 18, Babylon, this, this false religious system falling. The, the battle of Armageddon where there's no battle at all they get defeated then we're going to see Satan bound for a thousand years and then thrown into the lake of fire for eternity and then we're going to get to chapter 21 and we're talking about now a new heaven and a new earth and God kingdom finally being established on earth and again it's easy to get discouraged as we see all these things going on around the world it's easy to get discouraged as we see evil kind of prevailing and you think man all this crazy stuff is going on and no one's stopping it but we see that that, that, that this is it, it's building up in us this, this desire for, for, for justice. Right? And, and God is going to have justice one day. Right? <laughs> but if he hasn't yet, it's because he's still giving people an opportunity to repent. Right? And, and if something hasn't happened yet, it's because God is still extending mercy. Right? And so we're getting kind of, we're, we're looking at it from, from over here, but we can't see what God is doing in the, back, in the background, in the back scenes. Right? God is reaching people, touching people's heart. Extending his love, extending his mercy, extending his patience so that people can continue to get saved. But one day, <laughs> it's all going to be over. Amen? Amen? That's a good note. <laughs> Father, we love you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord, and I just thank you so much for your word, Father.